I'm Mary Parker, and welcome to this episode of Eureka Sounds of Science. Gene therapy is still in its early stages. Since the field is new but booming, the issue of manufacturing has become more crucial. How do we make these tricky products at a scale large enough to help patients without a long-standing infrastructure? Joining me to discuss this issue is Charles River Associate Director of Gene Therapy, Andrew Frazier, and Pierce Spring Therapeutics VP of Chemistry, Manufacturing, and Controls, Amanda Weiss. Welcome, Andrew and Amanda. Hi, well, thank you for the invitation. It's, it's great to be chatting about this. Yeah, likewise. So, Amanda, can we start with you? What's your background and how did you get started with Pure Spring? Sure. So um, I trained as a biochemical engineer at the, at the University of Birmingham. And the reason that I took biochemical engineering was when I went for an interview down there, I had a look around their pilot plant and I fell in love with their shiny stainless steel bioreactors. <laughs> and I thought, I just really want to know how they work. Um, and, and so that's what I did. Um, and my first scientific role after that was as a fermentation scientist at what was then Thorexis, um, then Cobra, and, and now Charles River. Mm-hmm. And there I made plasmid DNA actually for a gene therapy indication. After that, I've worked in a number of CDMOs and product development companies, developing bioprocessors uh, for different biological molecules. As part of that journey, I I joined Nightstar, which was a retinal gene therapy company. Mm -hmm. And I really enjoyed that experience um, and got to know the the Sincona group, who um, put a lot of investment into new startups. And when the opportunity came along to join another gene therapy, Pure Spring, I jumped at the opportunity. So did you figure out what those bioreactors do? (laughs) (laughs) Indeed, indeed. So I started as a fermentation. So as I say, uh, making plasmid DNA and then um, ended up designing a lot and installing quite a lot in the different places that I've worked at over the years. It's funny you say fermentation. It makes it sound like growing these things is the same as using hops to ferment beer. And and, and that's exactly what it is. (laughs) That's pretty cool. Yeah, so that's the sideline. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So what does Pure Spring do? So we are a gene therapy company, and we are leading a revolution in the treatment of chronic kidney diseases. Mm-hmm. The company was founded by the, on the pioneering research from Professor Moin Salim at the University of Bristol, mm-hmm. uh, and he's also Pure Spring's scientific founder. You know, did you know that there's about 840 million people globally that suffer from chronic kidney disease? I did not. There's been a real lack of innovation in the treatment of kidney diseases. You're leaving lots and lots of people with an unmet need. And as we know, many people who have those diseases end up on dialysis. Mm -hmm. When that fails, it's down to transplantation. And when that fails, it fails, you know. So Mm -hmm. so, so we're we're really on a mission here to try and do something about this. And that's exactly what we want to do. We want to stop and reverse and cure these chronic diseases and really make a difference to those patients that are suffering from kidney disease. That's awesome. Andrew, uh, over to you. Can you tell me about your background? Sure. Yeah, of course. So my background is in in biochemistry. And actually, you know, it's interesting to hear Amanda talking about big, shiny bioreactors. That was kind of how (laughs) I started as well. I was quite lucky that... Um, during my PhD at Queen's in, in 
Belfast in Northern Ireland, we had a uh, a reasonably large scale pilot facility actually, so about 150 liter stainless steel fermenter, and we used that to produce biocatalysts, and that that's kind of what I, I looked into in my PhD, and that kind of give me give me a really good kind of introduction to what goes on with you know industrial processing and particularly like upstream fermentation and that type of thing so quite quite a similar kind of mm-hmm. i guess start to what amanda had i then i held a, a role where i worked as a knowledge transfer ktp associate so kind of transferring knowledge between academia and industry working with a cdmo in northern ireland we we started up a kind of a spin out business on on biocatalysis and launched some products through that so again really kind of wide exposure to different elements within biologics and and biopharmaceuticals i actually joined cobra biologics in uh, 2015 as a a process development scientist and really since then i've I've held a a number of different roles within plasma dna manufacturing and eventually you know got to where i am today as part of charles rivers gene therapy cdmo business my my current role I, i work very closely with our commercial and operations teams focusing on our our plasmid service offering. You both mentioned the bioreactors, which makes me think that more companies who are hoping to invest in the future talent pool should invite schools to come tour their facilities and show off all their most impressive equipment. It's a good way to get kids interested in science. Absolutely. I think until they actually see what's involved, Mm -hmm. you just don't appreciate it. You can't appreciate that from a textbook or a piece of paper, you know, getting there and having a look. Yeah. Uh, as I say, that's what that's what clinched it for me. Yeah, it doesn't help that most of the pictures in, in the textbooks are like stock photos of scientists playing with colored water and beakers, and that doesn't seem very fun. But you show them a big shiny machine and then kids are way into it. So Yeah, definitely. And that, that was definitely my experience as well. I remember kind of getting into research and, you know, getting exposed to that side of it you know all really small stuff on the bench you know typically pipetting little small volumes that you can barely see but yeah it wasn't really Mm -hmm. until I got to the big stuff that I got really (laughs) excited about it yeah (laughs) and you know totally that totally makes sense so Andrew how are plasmids used in gene therapy manufacturing sure if we look at major uses of plasmid we can see that it can be used on its own as a as a direct therapeutic in the case of a drug product, so this would be for things like naked DNA therapies or, or plasmid vaccines. But um, I guess the, the really important one and the one that we actually do a lot of work around um, at Charles River currently is the role of plasmid as a critical starting material for onward processing. And um, this can be, you know, for a range of different applications. Um, I guess some of the most common ones that we, we see are more Plasmids are used as transfection reagents for viral vector production. Mm-hmm. So it'll be in the case of AAV, adeno-associated virus, or for LVV, lentivirus production, uh, or to, to the, the really big ones within gene therapy and, and cell therapy, but also as a template for, for messenger RNA production. So, and I guess, you know, if we think about, you know, how they're used and their function and the function of plasmids within these applications. They, they, they carry genetic information and this ultimately, you know, defines the characteristics of the final drug product. And that, that is, I guess, irrespective of application. So we think about plasmids, it is very critical to have, you know, a very safe and reliable and also cost-effective mm-hmm. kind of supply to, to deliver effective treatments to patients. I was talking with somebody else for a different interview the other day, and they mentioned something about how the 
gene therapies, there's like a limit to the size of the DNA that can be delivered in the drug. And I just thought that was interesting. Do you happen to know what the limiting factor is on that? I'm not going to quote numbers off the top of my head, but yeah, <laughs> I mean, depending on the, the different vector that's used and they all have different packaging capacities. So it kind of does, I guess, lend itself to this theme around complexity within advanced therapies. You're absolutely right, Mary. So we work with AAV and there is a packaging capacity. So that packaging capacity could limit some of the applications that you want to develop. If you want an analogy, it's a little bit like squeezing an elephant into a mini. <laughs> I like that image. Unless you get it all in there, it's, it's just not going to work. So for some therapies, the, the size of the, the gene that you're targeting, as I say, I'm talking more specifically for AAV, mm-hmm. if it's too big and you can't get it in there, that's it's a real challenge to, to, to develop that, um, that indication. So, Andrew, Charles River has a long history in testing. How does manufacturing now fit into that equation? Yeah, so, yeah, you're absolutely correct. I mean, if you ask people about Charles River, typically they'll they'll say, you know, they'll talk about the history and and capability and testing. Mm -hmm. More recently, through a number of different acquisitions, um, the company has established a manufacturing network, and it's one that kind of spans each of the major areas within advanced therapy so we've now got cell therapy manufacturing at our baltimore and memphis sites in the u.s and we also have viral vector Mm -hmm. which is manufactured at rockville again in the u.s and then on the plasmid side of things we've got plasmid dna production at our keel and aldley park sites in the uk I guess the mission of, of charles river at the moment within advanced therapies is to try and combine this testing capability uh, and capacity and really it allowed us to do something that that really no other contract manufacturer can kind of claim in that you know we can do 100% of our testing in-house and also link it to um, you know the different stages of of clinical development discovery safety assessment that are present within other divisions within Charles River and, and try to provide this kind of integrated end to end service offering for for our customers and and ultimately you know deliver um advanced therapies more quickly and more cost effectively i have a a kind of related question actually that could bring amanda in as well when you're talking about going from a test drug or something that you've been researching to it being approved and scaling up for production what are some of the the biggest hurdles in terms of scaling up at that rate well, yeah, absolutely. That's that's gauged by a number of factors. So, obviously, we start off in in research. We have to have a proof of concept, and once we're there, mm-hmm. then it comes over to us um, in development. And indeed, we start at small scale. Um, might be in shape flasks before we go into suspension bioreactors. So, this is where it's useful to have a platform process where you've got a baseline process that you can put your product into and try and expedite that development. But there are challenges in in scaling up, you know, the physical handling of the the volumes that you have to deal with. Mm -hmm. And when I think of things around the the transfection stage, that can be quite challenging, particularly in scales as you go larger than 1,000 litres. So, yeah, so that can be a limitation. So since gene therapies have only been on the market for less than a decade, how well are their manufacturing protocols established? 
So there's been an awful lot of development efforts into gene therapy technology, particularly over the last five or six years. Um, for example, there's been a number of cell lines developed and the media that they're grown in. So these have had a big impact on viral type of productivities, mm-hmm. which is a great help because obviously that helps with cost of goods. In relation to that, things like cell growth media and transfection reagents that are used to make your vector. And in addition to that, some of the DSP purification technologies have really come on. So we've seen big improvements in process recoveries, um, particularly around things like full 20 enrichment, where the aim is to package as much as your payload, so your gene of interest in your final products as, as you can. So all of these things have contributed to higher productivities and better recoveries. But also importantly, the, you know, getting more of a consistent quality of the product. Mm-hmm. So when you run your process and you have your process parameters defined, mm-hmm. you can be more reassured about the quality of the product that you'll get out at the end of it. So there's been lots of improvements of, of all of these technologies. Is there anything about gene therapy manufacturing that makes it difficult to have that kind of standardization? I'm just curious because when you think of manufacturing, having everything be standardized is a really big part of it. If you buy a thing of cornflakes, each cornflake is about the same size. You know, Is there anything in gene therapy manufacturing that makes that difficult? Yeah, I mean, to follow on from what Amanda said, I think we are approaching, certainly for things like AAV that mm-hmm. are relatively common within advanced therapies you know we are moving more towards standardization and ultimately that's the goal particularly for a manufacturer the more we can standardize the more we can kind of streamline processes supply chain all those things it kind of helps with you know these main challenges around cost and timelines but Mm -hmm. um, what i would say on top of that is that advanced therapies do kind of include a wide range of different approaches and advancements are being made and new technologies being developed all the time we typically, even on the plasmid side of things, you know, we're seeing people try different things, you know, amend the way that they're they're delivering their products, and and that ultimately adds complexity. So you've kind of got this kind of seesaw effect where, yeah, on one end, some of these products are are becoming much more established. You know, Amanda mentioned that that titers are improving. You know, safety of these systems is improving, but ultimately, you know, on the other side, mm-hmm. then you've got these this really really fast and rapid kind of advancement in the, in the early stage science, which ultimately, you know, the benefits to, to patients are, are very very clear. But you know, it does create some some rather rather big challenges for manufacturing particularly when we think about things like standardization so from each of your perspectives can you see any bottlenecks or roadblocks to expanding gene therapy manufacturing sure i mean you know just to, to follow on to to what to what I, I just said so the i mean just the the inherent complex nature of the products is is definitely the biggest challenge within manufacturing. You know, if we think about these types of products compared to things like insulin, you know, they're much larger molecules, much more complex um, and much more challenging to to make. I think when we talk about bottlenecks and roadblocks and and kind of expanding manufacturing, um, Mm -hmm. you know, what, what's probably even further behind the science and even the manufacturing or in terms of maturity or probably, you know, the healthcare funding and reimbursement systems that we have. We've seen, you know, a number of, of licensed products within advanced therapies being pulled from market um, due to commercial viability. And, 
I think it's it's clear that the very very high cost of these products, you know, it, and even even though they are kind of in the millions of dollars per treatment, um, you know, they are curative in many cases, and it it probably does need a, a very different approach compared mm-hmm. to more traditional treatments that would be much lower cost and typically you know require treatments over years mm-hmm. for for some uh, disease indications. What do you think, Amanda? Yes, well, indeed. I mean, so following on from that, I mean, from a from a process perspective and helping with drive the the cost of goods, you know, if we can get better productivities, and I talked about the full empty separation, you know, if we can get more product with the payload in it, it might increase the the potency, and we could use lower doses, so that might help contribute to some of the cost of goods, because then you could get more for your dollar, if you like. Another big challenge as well is um, the supply chain. So currently, uh, a lot of the gene therapies are ultra-cold chain supplies, so less than minus 70 degrees. So is there something that can be done around formulation and helping with the shipping of these products internationally? Because that also adds uh, a huge expense. And there's also, you know, we have to do a lot of stability work to assess the stability of these products and how they're shipped. So, again, that's another challenge for us. So if we could work around formulations to try and reduce the need for ultra cold chain supply, that would be a good thing. I was actually, yeah, I was thinking about that because I remember in the early stages of when they were distributing the COVID vaccines and they had to be kept extra cold. And it, of course, made it difficult to get them to places that don't have strong infrastructure. Absolutely. Which is not the goal, obviously. You want these to be able to get to patients who need them wherever they are. And also working with the reg authorities as well, mm-hmm. getting more regulatory guidance on acceptability of the products to get a fast track approach, to work much more closely in the development with the regulators on these products so that they understand them better as well mm-hmm. to help with the regulatory authority release process. I think that's something that we need to do better on. Yeah. So do you guys have any questions for each other? Yeah, sure. So just talking about costs. So I buy a lot of plasmid. Um, it's still very expensive. Yeah. So Charles River being a, a plasmid supplier, Andrew, what are you guys doing trying to improve on that? Yeah, it's a really good point. And then, yeah, it is one of which we're, we're very aware. I mean, with regards to things that we're doing actively at the moment, you know, we talked about standardization. You know, we've launched our, our XPDNA platform, which I guess is a is an iteration of, of what we've, we've always done within our manufacturing sites, but in a much more streamlined way. So those cost benefits will start to come through for customers as well as the, you know, the, the more rapid delivery. We do have a number of pipeline step improvements for that platform as well. The most recent one that we've launched is our off-the-shelf plasmid service offering. So this is where we manufacture commonly used plasmids, so packaging and helper plasmids that are used for viral vector production. We can manufacture those in advance and and store them into inventory so that they're available immediately for our customers. That also carries with it efficiencies around production so we can manufacture them at larger scales we don't have to do it on a batch by batch basis the way we typically would for custom manufacture i guess on on your side amanda when you're ordering these products as well you can also order the specific 
quantity that you want rather than than having to to order a batch and potentially have wastage or overage or even under ordering is is i know a massive problem within in the plasmid space because manufacturing timelines and capacities are, are quite restrained with with all manufacturers so those are some of the things that are coming I think it's one of the big advantages to being part of a you know a large organization like like Charles River is that you know we we've, we've got that that big company back and behind us there there are huge efficiencies that we'll be able to realize moving forward around testing both on timelines and and cost reduction. Yeah, it's 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 it's, it's a good point. Um, getting plasma quantities right can be a bit challenging, and particularly if you get a batch effect is spoiled and you have to repeat it if you haven't got enough in stock then you add timelines which is quite detrimental particularly to a small company who's mm-hmm. trying to get into the clinic as, as quickly as possible yeah i had a, a question for amanda um you haven't haven't worked with pure spring for for quite a while now you know you know, it, it is a very well-organized company. You know, you, you have a very clear plan about what you want to do. You have lots of experienced people working with you. The question for me would be, you know, do you have any kind of key lessons learned that might help other product developers, um, particularly, you know, how, how, how to deal with contract manufacturers? That's a very good question. For a company like PureSpring who outsources all of its manufacturing critical material supply, it's really doing your homework and due diligence around what's out there, who's supplying what, reputations, cost, of course, is really important. But once you've identified that, it's really working with your CDMO, not as a contractor, but as a partner, because your success is only going to be dependent on their success. So it's something that I've found that we don't sign a contract and hand it over to our supplier and go, here you go, let me know when it's finished. That is just a recipe for disaster. It's really about building a partnership building a joint project team, them understanding what you need, when you need it, being open to them about indications. Often a lot of people who end up manufacturing the goods don't really understand what the final product's being used for. So we've been on site to give seminars about the indications that we're treating and how important their role is is in providing and helping us with that solution. Mm-hmm. Having clear defined goals, of where you want to be and, and when you want to be there. So that relationship is really important to our success. Well, thank you both so much for joining me. I really appreciate your insight into this topic. I find the manufacturing aspect of this really interesting. So I definitely, especially appreciate that. No, thank you. Thank you for your time. It was nice to speak with you both. Yeah, thank you. Thank you.